Hey, Rob here, and this episode of the Cricket Table Podcast is sponsored by Audible. If you're like me, you're looking for a little distraction these days. Luckily, Audible has thousands of audiobooks right at your fingertips. One of my favorites is Best Movie Year Ever, How 1999 Blew Up the Big Screen, in which author Brian Raftery covers several movies we've discussed on this very podcast. To check out that title and so much more, start your free 30-day trial today over at audibletrial.com slash crookedtable. That's audibletrial.com slash crookedtable table now on with the show welcome to the crooked table podcast where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle and now your host robert yannis jr welcome to the crooked table podcast this is rob on this show we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release you can find more episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers. Please, if you have time, drop us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. And this episode, I am honored to welcome to the show, Chris Scalzo. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. It is an honor for you, for me to be here. That's very true. I appreciate you, you noticing that right from the get-go. So good. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's one. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, I keep finding uh, local podcasters that are actually in the same geographical area to me that I had no idea you guys were all here. So it's uh, quite a little burgeoning uh, podcast area here in Florida. Yeah, it's really Florida weird area. when when you connect with people on Twitter and then you're like, oh, where's this person located? Oh, down the street from me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, seriously? How does that happen? It's such a small world, I guess. That's Twitter algorithms, maybe. <laughs> that could be what it is, exactly. <laughs> but no, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much. I, I hadn't even thought about... Well, typically I'll try and run through... Uh, films, if there's a, like, if you're going to catch up with a sequel, right? Which I guess is our plan here. Yep. And I'll let you explain that. I don't want to cut cut you off. I know I give you all the juicy stuff, but uh, I haven't watched these films probably since they came out. So it's, uh, it's a, it was fun to revisit them. We'll see. Yeah. So as as Chris is alluding, we're going to be talking this episode about uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey from 1989 and 1991, respectively. But before we start getting into the franchise, Chris, tell people a little bit about the first run and everything you guys have going on over there. Oh, that is a great idea. So um, <laughs> I am one of the uh, hosts of the First Run podcast. Uh, we review a couple films every week. We'll tell you what's coming up on physical media as well, featuring like your straight to DVD and streaming picks of the week. And then we always have a final segment that's always, we don't get pigeonholed into like just top fives. We do do top fives, but we have a bunch of other different fun little segments and games that we play, call it. We have to, you know, it seems to be all the rage on film Twitter the last year which you have to choose between two th- two films or whatever, you know, one goes away forever. Right, exactly. Uh, what else? We have like a fill-in-the-blank game. We have a Who Dat, which is one of my favorites where we do some role-playing and uh, just a lot of fun stuff like that. So you can catch us at thefirstrun.com and we're everywhere, just like you. You know, you just go to a podcasting platform, uh, Apple. We're everywhere. You can check us out. And we have a, a massive library. I mean, we're, we're uh, what, our, our 516th episode will be up this Friday. So yeah, we've, you've got a lot to get through there. Wow, that's yeah, that's that's crazy. So, give me a little bit of the the origin story of the show. Like, how did that all start then? So, my co-host Maddie and I actually worked together, and what happened is we had a mutual friend who said, "You know, you guys really get along. You guys should get together and hang out. I think you'd really hit it off." And we ended up deciding to do that. We got dinner, we went to go see a movie, and the movie we saw was "I Love You, Man." And I don't know if you recall, but there's a scene in that with uh, Adam Sandberg's talking to Paul Rudd and says. He's trying to make guy friends. Whatever you do, you don't go on a date, right? You don't go to a movie and a dinner. And that's exactly <laughs> what we did. And then uh, we just kind of just caught on right from there. We were became really good, close friends. And then a few months later, we started doing the show. And Matt dipped out for a little while because his priorities got all screwed up and he had a kid. But uh, yeah, he, it happens. Uh, yeah. Well, we had a co-host step in for a while who then went into witness protection and just disappeared. And Matt was kind enough to step back in <laughs> and he's been uh, back with me uh, ever since. So yeah, I've been running for quite a while. It's, it's a blast. We have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, that's cool. And um, it, it, you know, this not to tip off your schedule, but this mm. episode came about because uh, you had on your schedule that you were going to talk about Bill and Ted face the music. Yep. And I was like dibs. <laughs> because I was because I was planning on wanting to cover these movies already mm-hmm. because in the last year or so we've covered John Wick and we've covered The Matrix. So I was like, I gotta get I gotta go for the Keanu hat trick. I gotta I gotta what? round out my Keanu franchises. So um 
but yeah, so that's that's how this all came about. So I guess before we get into the movies, what is sort of your experience with this franchise? Sounds like you you just saw them the one time uh, when they came out. I yeah, but I am gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot right now since you brought that up. I'm gonna sure. backtrack a bit, and I apologize. And I, I'm excited though, like I said, to have you on our show the following you know later on, just a few days later, to discuss. Bill and Ted face the music. And I think we're going to kind of force you to go see New Mutants, possibly at a drive-in. We'll see how that shakes out. <laughs> but to go back to call it and to grab the, the what is the zeitgeist of film Twitter right now, Matrix or John Wick? Which do you oh, go with? I would go with Matrix because the Matrix, as I talked about on this podcast, is was a huge movie for me. Uh, I was 16 when that came out. So mm. it was a big, like, formative cinema uh, form formative uh, entry in as me becoming into me becoming a cinephile into me being like well you know what there's a lot more to movies than i thought they're not just entertaining there's like an art and a style and intentionality be- behind everything that goes you know everything that goes into what's on screen so that one has like a special significance to me however i do Uh-oh. think john wick and mission impossible are like the two best american action franchises going right now so that's not to throw any shade at John Wick, just to clear clarify that. No, yeah, I first off, respectfully, you are dead wrong about this. Uh, clearly, <laughs> it's John Wick, it's I think, good. is the one way to go. I like The Matrix, and that first film is top shelf. Yeah. But the subsequent sequels are a little shaky. Yes. And I have not had, I don't think we've had a really bad Wick outing. One complaint I have with them is that I still don't quite understand the value of the coins. Because you know, one one coin gets you drink, another one gets you to stay at a hotel for a week. <laughs> yeah, fine, it's true. So, but still, I think it's I think it's Wick for sure on my end. But uh, that's 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 fine. Both both great franchises. I love them both. It's just yeah, I, that first Matrix is is a big movie for me in and of itself. Even though I do, you know, I, I I'm worried about Matrix Four. I'm excited mm. as hell for mm-hmm. John Wick Four and Five. I think that I you're spot on in that the Wick franchise is overall more solid than the Matrix franchise. I think that's Definitely more consistent. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Keanu's kind of circling back around all his franchise roles. Like at this point, it wouldn't surprise me if all of a sudden they're like, Speed 3, he's on a plane this time. <laughs> um, right. So uh, yeah, so this one is, is also a big one for me. Uh, Matrix was huge for me. But before that, obviously, I was into these movies. I saw the second one in theaters. I don't know about the first. Okay. And they were really formative as far as my, you know, my love of time travel movies. So what was your experience yeah. first encountering uh, Bill and Ted? So this would have hit me right in my sweet spot, like you did with The Matrix. So this Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure came out in 1989. I was a robust 14 years old. And it was hilarious. It was so funny, so clever to me. I am a fan of science fiction films, particularly time travel movies, even though a lot of times they make my brain hurt. Still, and but that's what I think one of the great key things about this first film and in the second one is that they're not really hung up right on the yep. science of it all. It's not really a major concern. <laughs> so it's more about just having a bunch of dumb, goofy fun. And I think both of these films, and maybe particularly more so the first film, really just nail that. And I remember just falling in love with these things at the time. I think I believe I did have a copy of VHS on the first one. I don't think I ever owned the second one. I did not own these on any other physical media since, though. So they didn't really seem to have a lasting impact on me. Or maybe I just moved on. But I was very happy uh, to get the call from you that we could get together and that I could revisit these films after all of these years. Because like I said, I think I've really... may have watched my VHS once or twice, you know, but that would have been it. It's been a long time. Yeah, when they came out, it, they were kind of a a brief, very brief phenomenon. Like just like for the early '90s, there was an animated series. There was like a yep. whole big Bill and Ted thing. Serial. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly the serial. Um, and I feel like that has really waned over the years. Um, and unless you're looking back specifically at like in the pantheon of you know slacker duos, the Wayne and Garth, and they get they mm-hmm. get thrown in a lot with stoners, which I. Do you see anything in this movie to indicate that that Bill and Ted are supposed to be stoners? I mean, I know the movies are PG and going for that family-friendly vibe, but I always feel like they're miscategorized a lot of the time. That's interesting. I think that vibe is definitely there, and I think that was part of the development of it, if Mm -hmm. I'm remembering correctly. It might not be. But 
it's definitely has. I mean, there the that whole valley talk with the but through the the guys instead of the traditional stereotypical you know valley girl thing. Right. But it's still I, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I had never really thought about it that way. I viewed them as because you're right. There's no apparent and open drug use at all in any right. of the films. So I kind of just viewed them, I guess, at the time as just kind of dumb kids, you know. <laughs> Um, looking back at now, it seems to me they definitely may have partaken in a little bit of the marijuana, as the kids say, especially if you had a guy like George Carlin in there. But yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. yeah, no, they ride that PG rating pretty far. You're right about that. Yeah, that's always the big question to me, uh, to me is, are they are they are they not showing them smoking anything because they are not stoners or because it's it's a PG? Like, is it like kind of just they're trying to make it more accessible. I always, I always find that question really interesting. Mm. Um, so let's transition into the first of two movies we're going to talk about. Um, I will play the trailer for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and then we'll just talk about both the movies together. So here's a little bit of the trailer for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure from 1989. Now, a motion picture so grand, Whoa. so magnificent, and so vast, it spans 7,000 years. No way! Yes, way. But it starts with Bill. I'm Bill S. Preston. Who is Joan of Arc? And Ted. Noah's wife? We are in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow. A force from the future. Can we go anywhere we want at any time? You can do anything you want. Is putting history at their fingertips. Let's reach out and touch someone. They're traveling through time. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? Put them in the iron maiden. Excellent! Execute them! Bogus! How's it going, dude? And they're making a big impression. Historical babes. Now they're home. Everybody get together and remember who your buddy is. To trash the 20th century. Bill and Ted's... Excellent! Excellent! Excellent adventure. That was a little bit of the trailer for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure from 1989, directed by Stephen Herrick. And all three of these movies were written by Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, the two that we're going to talk about, and obviously the new one that's about to uh, hit theaters in VOD. And I think you can kind of see, do, do you think it's apparent that there is one vision throughout these, at least these two movies, or does it feel like there was a changing of the hands before we get into Excellent Adventure specifically? I would say universally in regards to the themes of the film, it's consistent through both. One thing I have that was weird is the design changes, I think, pretty drastically into the second film, particularly with the costume design, which was weird because everybody in the future was wearing very heavily kind of padded outfits, which you did not see in that first film. Carlin and the three most important people, right? Mm. They're more just kind of relaxed, black, silver, shiny, leather, robey type stuff. And everything else, it looks like at some point in the future, the Wild Stallions kind of merged with a Nerf Corporation. I'm not sure. But it's, it's yeah, outside of that, I think they're pretty consistent. They certainly are tonally. And I think maybe there's some, I think they lean even more into the absurdity in the second film than they do oh, the first. I don't so know much, you- so much. So, <laughs> um, I, I mean, we're kind of jumping in, in, into the second one slightly here, but sorry about that. Yeah. I'm no, it's, okay. it's all good. No, it's all good. Uh, I, I always consider bogus journey in that really fun and feels like dying category of movie sequel where, okay, the first one's very straightforward. It, it knows what it is. It, it kind of, you know, straight down the middle. And then the second one's like completely, completely batshit crazy. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking something like Gremlins, which is pretty straightforward, what kind of movie it is. Right. And then Gremlins 2, the new batch, where you're like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> like, this is all throw. They, they they had all these ideas and they're just like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do that. Which one? All of them. Let's hit it. Um, and I guess you could sort of put Back to the Future Part 2 in there, even though I, I feel like that is, that it's still well within the genres, uh, the genre limitations. So yeah, Bogus Germ, first one is time travel. Second one is, robots time travel aliens death. death like yeah they spend there's a whole sequence in hell which we'll get into um yeah but i agree with you that the tonally it, it is it does feel like it's of a piece and i think 
you know, I, I have an answer for this, but I want to hear your response. Hmm. What do you think is it a, about Bill and Ted that has made the characters endure to the point where, yeah, the 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 fan base is much more niche than it once was, but there are there were people like me who have been waiting for the third one to kind of come together. It's been years that they've been talking about it, and and eventually, you know, it hit production, and uh, now it's almost here. So, what is it about Bill and Ted that you think has uh, has resonated with people? Well, first off, let's take a minute and praise Keanu Reeves for coming back to this property after how many decades. He could have been the kind of guy like Bill and Ted, are you kidding me? (laughs) Kind of the film that made me kind of arrive, really. But still, that is such a ridiculous property. And you want me to come back to that? But nope, Keanu's all in. And I (laughs) I just wanted to praise him for that. I think, though, the key is the fact that they're both very affable. They're lovable lunkheads. And they're, but their hearts are pure, right? You know, so... I think that's what it is. It's the appeal of the everyday kind of dumb, but overall just really gold hearted kind of guys who are just trying to do the right thing. The only way they seem to know how to do it. So I don't know. I think there's a way they're, they're easy to identify with. I think there's a little bit of Bill and Ted in every one of us really to get really philosophical about it. <laughs> but, but I still, uh, yeah, I think that's the key to it is the fact that the, the film doesn't take itself seriously. And it's all about basically the absurdity of the situations and that you have these two just guys just fumbling through things. But there's a partnership and a brotherhood and a love between the two of them and clearly for everybody that you're just you're able to kind of maintain and connect with them through all, after all these years. I think that's really what the key is. Yeah, there's a positivity, I think, too, to them mm-hmm. and, and these movies that, you know, I, I feel in today's day and age, that whole be excellent to each other thing feels even more poignant than ever before uh, in a lot of ways. And, you know, they're so hopeful in everything that they go through. They're, they're united completely every single step of the way, like as you, as you sort of alluded. And there's also the, there's the undercurrent of the fact that greatness can come from anywhere, even to goofballs (laughs) thinking, trying to start a rock band without knowing how to play the instruments. Uh, they could still be destined to bring about world peace, which is a ridiculous idea. But at the heart of it is kind of, I don't know, weirdly inspiring, I guess, which Mm -hmm. is a weird thing to say about Bill and Ted. Uh, And, you know, they're just, like you said, they're oblivious. There's so many times in both these movies that their only connection to the world is through rock music. So they have like this tunnel vision on their goals, which again is sort of admirable in, in a certain sense. Yeah, no, they're definitely, they're just, you're right. And, and it's their just, how do you, how do you even put it? Just unconscious, un, un, unknown reason, way of just doing the right thing and looking at the best in people. You're entirely right about that. I mean, they picked, Napoleon was not a great guy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Billy the Kid, not a great guy. <laughs> and maybe that's <laughs> one of the weird things about the film, if you really think about it for a second, how it's ridiculous. And one of the things I realized when I, realized when I was doing some of the research, I realized what I learned, is at one point in the original script, the first guy that picked up was Hitler. And I'm oh like, I dodged a bullet there. Yeah, I bet it was a good thing that they decided to nix that. That probably not would have not worked out. <laughs> it's hard to believe, too, that apparently they auditioned for each other's roles at one point. Because I, I can't really imagine Keanu Reeves playing Bill. And now Alex I read about that, too. And supposedly that's a myth. Is it what really? What happened okay, was, more sense. what happened was when, when Winter and Reeves were talking to each other, they both got, they kind of got confused as to who was who at one point because they get, their characters were so similar. And right. at one point, Keanu thought that he was Bill. He was supposed to play Bill. And then Alex Winter's like, no, you're Ted. And he's like, really? Oh, I thought it was Bill, you know, but that's it. <laughs> and so it was more of a, I guess it was part of the issue with the, the writing that the characters were so similar. Right. That makes- did you also know that I guess it was supposed to be a van initially? Yeah, I heard a, that. A photo booth, a, a photo booth, a phone booth, right? But I guess they were afraid of the. Uh, I love that's what I, one thing I love about doing these shows is doing the research and learning all these things I didn't know. Mm-hmm. They were nervous because of the whole Back to the Future DeLorean thing, so they end up going with a phone booth as a nod to the TARDIS, right? Right, exactly. And Doctor Who, which is still an homage to something else, but whatever. Well, I mean, as a kid, I didn't. I wasn't. You know, I was uh, six when the first one came out, so I'm a little bit okay. younger than you. So Riveted. I. I didn't know, even know about Doctor Who, so I didn't even realize that was a thing until later on when mm. Doctor Who was was you know relaunched over here. 
in the in the mid 2000s so i i didn't even realize any of that until much later so it, i guess that was a good choice on their part yeah. uh but the movie is also just weirdly it's it's also kind of educational in a way because again as a True. kid i this was my <laughs> this was my reference point for a, a lot of these historical figures uh, this is the first time i heard of uh socrates or socrates mm-hmm. Or Sigmund Freud, uh, or Joan of Arc, or Genghis Khan. Obviously, Lincoln was around, but uh, in, in history and in someone I was aware of. But I, I just I love the way that they they take this this trip through history, and you're just kind of bouncing around with them. Uh, and it's it almost has you know my daughter is three, so she's been really into like the Magic School Bus, which again feels okay. sort of related to this kind of thing. Um, but it, it has sort of that kind of vibe to it. Yeah, I wonder how many people may have been actually their 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 love of history could have been sparked by this film. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. You're right because I think I had the same thing. I was always a big U.S. history buff, but it was educational and really fascinating. And I think, I mean, I'm sure a lot of it is a little touch and go in regards to the uh, <laughs> how accurate everything was, but still, I I think that the core of it is there. So no, I think that's a, a really fascinating point. I hadn't really thought about it at the time. Yeah. So. What is it? Is there a particular? Uh, we were talking earlier about how the time travel in this movie is very, uh, you know, very devil may care, just kind of making it up as it goes along. What it, is there a particular element of the <laughs> whatever you, whatever you want to call the time travel mechanics in this movie that you uh, that you find particularly interesting or funny or uh, amusing? I think when they would realize that in order to get out of a situation or do something, they had to tell themselves, all right, we remember, remember, you got to go steal your dad's keys or remember to remember to put the trash bucket up there or something, which is the one they, they can't wrap my head around is how <laughs> they said to, to get the trash can to drop exactly on Ted's dad. Right. I can't figure out how the, how the logistics of how they were to get that to work out exactly right at that time. But that's just part of the fun. But it was that kind of stuff that I think was my favorite part of the time travel portion of it is just the that we can make this up as we go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's exactly mine, too. Uh, it just I as a kid, I knew that was ridiculous and I knew it didn't make sense. But it's so cool to have that idea in your head that if I do something in the later, I can change the circumstances. Now uh, they leave themselves the tape recorders, the right. DS duck and, and the letter, all that stuff, uh, that sequence. And probably the other one being the uh, strange things are afoot at the circle K when they meet mm-hmm. themselves. And then later in the movie, we see the other side of that encounter. Uh, that kind of stuff is just really, I don't know. I just toys with my curiosity in a, in a very, visceral way in a very impactful way as a, as a, uh, as a kid growing up with back to the future and this kind of around the same time. So let me ask you about that. So I'm actually involved in a super secret project that I can't announce yet, but part of it is revisiting uh, a film that has, it's his, a lot of lines in it that have impacted me so much that I say them now, even though mm-hmm. the film came out like 20 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything like that? Because I'll tell you, with this film too, something was just, strange things were afoot at the Circle K. It's a <laughs> line I will still say to this day if something unusual or weird happens. Is there anything like that for you here? In this movie? Sure. In either either one of the films. And if you want to expand it, knock yourself out. Um, is there anything in these movies that I quote? Uh, I don't really know. Because the funny thing is that this, at a certain point in time, I did watch these movies quite a bit, but mm-hmm. they're not something that I've revisited a lot in my, yeah. in my, you know, my adult years. And I don't know if that's just because I burned myself out on Bill and Ted at yeah. an early age or what, but prior to watching these now, I don't, I think it's probably been, I don't know, seven years or something since I watched. So it's like every several years I see them. So it's not like, it's not something that's playing on a loop in my head for me. I think I probably reference more like early Jim Carrey, and okay. things like that. Uh, Austin Powers was huge for me back in the day. Not something that really is sure. relevant to quote anymore. But a lot of those those comedy uh, those comedy gems from like the early mid nineties uh, mm-hmm. are definitely reference points for me. Yeah, I'll drop a Circle K thing every now and then. Though, yeah, that's for sure. That one always seemed that stuck with me over the years. I don't know quite know why, but uh, maybe it's Keanu's pitch perfect delivery. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah, he is so much fun in this movie. I think it's it's easy to overlook his performance, but like, oh, he's just playing like, you know, a dumb valley guy. But his timing is really on point uh throughout throughout this movie, especially in that scene. Just the way 
the way they react to things is it's just mm-hmm. so funny. Uh, and of course, you know, their whole goal in this movie is the most relatable stakes of all passing your history test. Right. I, I mean, that that's so how can you could you imagine a better, more universal, uh, you know, motivation for a, a what is essentially kind of a, a kid's film or family film? Then yeah, they're just trying to get the good grades in school, so one of them doesn't get sent to a uh, a military academy and they get separated. That was one of the, it's weird too about how things change over time that don't fit today. One of them being like when Billy the Kid shoots off the gun in the auditorium. Yes, like can you I imagine somebody shooting a gun off an high school auditorium today with no repercussions. Right. There's just things you can't do anymore. And then also if if I have any issue with the film is that we're still in that unfortunate, I use, I'm using this term in air quotes, sweet spot of derogatory gay humor, mm-hmm. right? Where men can't really express feelings or emotions about each other without dropping the F word or whatever the case may be, yeah. right? So it does struggle with that a little bit, in the, especially, particularly in the first one, I think. But uh, yeah, I mean, if, that's, if, if I had any real issue with the film, but again, that was just kind of, unfortunately, kind of the way things were back then. Yeah, I, I made note of that too of the the homophobic homophobic word that pops up actually in both movies. I realized in the mm, second okay. one too, it pops comes up again, and it yeah. I think that is that in the gun <laughs> the gun firing and the I I noticed that too. I was just like, oh, that not not great, not a great look. Yeah. I mean, granted, he's an outlaw, so I guess it fits his character to do that, but the reaction was just non not non existent. Um, Exactly. It's the reaction of everybody in there. It was like, <laughs> woo! Yeah. Exactly. They're, yeah, they're into it. Um, <laughs> instead of running for the doors. Uh, but those are those do feel like the only real moments, uh, mm-hmm. other than the the you know, love lovably dated visuals of the circuits of time and all that, which I think sure. still oh, yeah. works because it's a nostalgic thing. Um, but, but other than you know, that homophobic moment and the gun, there's not a whole lot in here that hasn't aged well like the movies hold up held up pretty well uh and you know it's also pretty uh pretty accessible to kids except for the that the, what we mentioned because the most adult gag i didn't even get as a kid was the whole thing with missy i mean mom uh yes. <laughs> in the movie uh that you know they kick bill out of his room so that they can uh, get busy that i didn't really understand that much as a kid how weird it is yeah, but me other, that's that's really the only like air quotes adult uh, humor in the movie. I remember having to look up what an edible complex was after <laughs> watching the film now because I had no idea what that meant. There's little touches like that that make the movie that that you can tell there was real there was real care behind this this project. Like it's it's ridiculous and it's silly and it's goofy and it's mm-hmm. on its face kind of stupid but it's it's a stupid movie written by intelligent people you know yeah um, that that there are moments like the edible complex like the i even saw that uh, apparently the chart that napoleon is showing uh, bill and ted is is like for a failed invasion of russia that he did so huh. in in real life in history and so when ted says i don't think it's going to work that's actually kind of a reference <laughs> To a real, uh, a real, I did not know that. That is awesome. I know little things like that. The the Waterloo, the fact that there was you know famous battle yeah. of Waterloo, the Napoleon was involved in, and that's the water park. Little things like that, I I think kind of elevated, and I notice more as an adult, and make me appreciate it in a different way. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I love too that the whole thing supposedly like it started off as a sketch, right? It was a comedy sketch that these guys were doing, and then they were going to make a sketch movie, and this was going to be one of them. And I guess I felt it was so, so strong. They could develop an entire film just out of this concept. And I mean, it did have like a major cultural impact. It's funny how some films, even though like it wasn't like a run, it was popular, but what is it? It cost them what? Six and a half million to make. It made 40 and a half, which is I think pretty good for 1989. But then, but the cultural impact it had, even to this day, I mean, we're getting a third film, what, 20 years later? Mm-hmm. And then you look at something like, dare I say, Avatar, which is a gigantic financial success, right? But has no cultural impact at all. I mean, you don't, nobody quotes Avatar. Nobody wears an Avatar t-shirt. Nobody, it's just funny how things kind of catch the imagination of people and some things don't. And this 
little set of just bizarre, crazy time travel comedy films with a bunch of stoner non-stoners have somehow, <laughs> you know, endure, endured all this time. Yeah, two wannabe rock stars uh, traveling through history, basically kidnapping people. Um, <laughs> it's essentially what they're doing. That's true. Um, again, you know, in this con- in this context of this movie, it's uh, obviously it's not a- an issue. But if you look at it with, with any kind of logic, you're like, they're stealing people. That's that's. A- <laughs> I don't know if that's cool. Uh, and, and how how easily all of these historical figures just roll with it, especially Billy the Kid. He's just like, yeah, this will be fun. Whatever. I, that is one of my favorite things about it. How everybody just is okay. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. They're they're all in on uh, what? Would you want me to just hang out and look at people and, and uh, share my observations? Uh, which, by the way, what a perfect choice! If you have if you have like an hour and change to give people and and expose them to the current, you know, the modern age and the current world, whatever, you take them to the mall. Because yep. what the, either the mall or the airport, and I'm assuming the mall is closer to the school, like the, the most quality people watching that you can possibly imagine. No, that's that mall. That whole segment with the mall was fantastic. It is my favorite probably being is when what is it? Oh, I'm blanking now. It, it's so creates and is it Billy the Kid when they go hit on the young women in the mall? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely just pure comedy gold right there and then of course I, I i this is actually the film that introduced me to jane weeblin i was uh ambiguous as to i uh, was ignorant mostly i should say as to the go-go's i had a big crush on belinda carlisle but uh went to another level with jane weeblin who of course she played joan of arc in the film as well and she takes over the aerobics class so yeah <laughs> it's weird to me that most of the historical figures sort of find their place uh, right yeah, you know, Beethoven goes to the music, you know, the piano store and and it becomes it proves that he's a musical genius. And and Genghis Khan is like taking over the sporting goods. To, like everybody kind of slips into there. And then Joan of Arc starts working out. And that's her yeah. thing. But she still becomes a leader. So I guess I guess that sort of fits her character. But yeah, the the mall thing always uh, I always found hilarious. And not only do we get a montage of their antics in the mall, we also get a montage of them doing chores at uh, I guess it's Bill's house. So we get two, it two is crazy montages. how game they are for all of this stuff too. <laughs> yeah, it is absolutely bizarre. And they don't bat an eye at all the technology and stuff that they're seeing in front of them. Never mind the fact of the time machine. Right, exactly. They're just like, yeah, this is this is totally cool. Um then the the big report of course is is epic. Uh you have mm-hmm. a lot of the San Dimas high school football rules quote that a lot of people <laughs> like um which is kind of fine. Uh and then I, I like the, I really love the coda before we shift over into bogus journey. Yeah. I really love the, the coda where Carlin, uh, RIP to Carlin, by the way, mm. uh, brings them quality instruments that actually work and start, you know, they, they decide to start learning how to play, uh, <laughs> which to me, I, I love because it, it the, what, what that tells me as far as the message of the movie is, yeah, you have the potential to be great. But you have to do something about it. You can't just wait around and expect, oh, Wild Stallions is going to be the you know the biggest band in the world. It's like first you learn how to play the instruments and you right. practice, and then maybe if you're lucky, you get there. So I like that you know since the movie is is aimed ostensibly at children or younger audiences at least. I, I like that that's sort of the main takeaway. The whole the the whole they they will get they do get better that Carlin says, and that's sort of the period at the end of the sentence. Yeah, but how do you rectify that, right? If with that's one of the things I'm curious how they're going to handle in the new film. I don't know if I'm getting right. ahead of myself here. Well, we'll pocket that for the uh, when we get to the discussion, maybe of the uh, at the end, if we can talk about what our thoughts are going to be here, right? Yeah, I, I yeah, I was wondering that too because uh, Rufus says that you know your music ends war and poverty and blah blah blah. Uh, you know, uh, and then Bogus Journey really really kind of puts them in a corner. Um, so. I'm curious to see how they're going to address that as well. So shifting into Bogus Journey. So mm. 1991, two years later, it's apparently five years in movie time. So they're now in their early 20s. Uh, but three, but weirdly, I think three years in future time, which I noticed that it was like 2688 and then like 2691 or something. Mm. Uh, this one directed by Pete Hewitt, originally titled Bill and Ted Go to Hell, which I would have liked that title too, but I can see why they didn't want to go with that. Yeah. Uh, so what are your... 
what are your thoughts on Bill and Ted's bogus journey as a sequel to the original? And then, you know, obviously we'll get into it as its own film. Well, I think it's, they definitely like most sequels, right? They try and go bigger uh, and expand sure. things, get a little crazier. And I think for the most part, it works. I think they spend a lot of time in uh, limbo, I guess, right? And hell as well. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of the strongest segments in the entire film is when they're playing the different games with death, <laughs> which is, there's some of it, just the fact that they go with what, like Battleship and Twister instead <laughs> of, you know, some other weird kind of seven seal type chess, chess game. or something, right? yeah. So it's absolutely great. And William Sadler is fantastic. And I didn't, ca- one of the things I didn't catch too while I was rewatching this is Sadler is in this film twice. Mm-hmm. I never knew that, you know, watching it as a kid. So it's bigger. It's fun. I don't think it's better than the first film. There's, there's a lack of, how do you put it there? There's just, it's, there's just, it's missing like a little magic that the first film had. It's still though a lot of fun and I, and I, I did enjoy it. If I had to like, on our show, we give letter grades. So I would say for like the first film, I would give it a B plus. And the second one, I'd probably go B minus, but mm-hmm. still, uh, I still enjoy the hell out of it. It's a lot of fun. It's a weird, it's a weird left turn <laughs> for, from the first one to the second mm-hmm. one, I think. And I, I agree with you. I think and it's funny because I just did an episode not long ago on, which is very different movies, but the machete films from Robert Rodriguez. I was listening first, to that. That's, that was a good one. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> the first one is like a straight up movie. It is a real movie. And then the second yeah. one is just like, like it fits in that gremlins category of Bill and Ted and, and, and all that where the first one is very self-contained and it has a very clear sense of vision. And, and the second one, just everything's thrown in there. It's just like, we'll see what sticks kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. I agree with you. I think the first one is a, a far superior movie, but I, I also would get enough enjoyment out of the second one that I'm not willing to just disregard it wholesale. Uh, oh, it's not a failure at all. Yeah. It's, it's the perfect movie. And I feel like this, it was more than one occasion. It's been on TV, you know, back in the day at like 1 AM when you're flipping around on like TBS. And I'm like, this is the perfect movie to watch when you're tired or, you know, a little buzzed or whatever. And you're just like, <laughs> sure, bogus journey. They, yeah, they go to hell and the Easter Bunny's there. Fuck it. Um, it's really it's really that kind of movie. Um, and I wonder, this movie actually, I feel like strengthens the pro stoner approach because this feels like more of a stoner movie than the first one. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I, 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 did, I did really enjoy the introduction of the robots. I thought that that was absolutely great. Very amusing. Yeah, and if, I gotta admit too, I, the effects for that were pretty good. When, you know, when the robots reveal themselves and they pull back the skin and stuff, uh, for, you know, for for a kind of dumb stoner esque comedy, I think that worked out really well. Yeah, it was going for a sort of Terminator vibe, I think, with the the pulling of mm. the flesh, and uh, you can tell right from the beginning that there is a significantly higher budget. You mentioned about the first one was six and a half. This one's yeah. like twenty, yeah. uh, and you think you can see that right from the jump, just in the set design and. And as you mentioned, with the robot effects, and we got a lot more uh, creature creature effects. I mean, like I said, we go they go to hell and heaven and everything. Um, basically, this is supposed to be their the second crucial turning point in their destiny, as said by uh, Chuck Denomalos, who is probably part of my issue with this movie. I love that in the first one, the villain is time, which again fits the the tone of the movie. It fits the themes of the movie and all that. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it's Denomalos who's pretty bland as a villain to me. Yeah, no, it's not quite as... It's it's weird, you're right, because we actually have a real villain in this film. They're yeah. not just racing against the clock. But it's not... The stakes don't seem as high, even though they die, which is weird. Yeah, right? It, yeah, it really is. The The best thing we get from Denomalos is is the scene at the end when Rufus appears... And he's like, oh, he was my mentor. He was my gym teacher. And that's the yeah. big thing that Donamo's gym teacher is the best, the best gag we get with that character. Yeah. Um, and of course, what perfectly, what makes perfect sense knowing the first movie, Rufus is apparently a, a teacher in the future. He's an instructor mm-hmm. of like history and all that stuff, which again, that I love the fact that in this future, educators are, are like, are so venerated. That is true. And I would no, that's a great point. One thing that was really weird was how, you know, that, that he's not, Carlin's really not in the film much at all. Mm-hmm. And when he's revealed to be who he is, 
when they do that reveal and he's in those big padded clothes, but he's supposed to be inside this other character the whole time. It's just, <laughs> just more to the absurdity. And I had no idea too going into this that Tony Cox was the car- was in that station costume, the mm-hmm. Martian. I had absolutely no idea. If you're not familiar with Tony Cox's, I think a lot of people, particularly for me, would be in that absolutely wonderful and excellent Bad Santa film. Yep. He played the uh, partner in crime there. It always was the elf. But anyway, so uh, yeah, just lots of little weird, fun things like that. But yeah, that was very, I don't know. That just sat weird to me when they had that reveal with, with Pam Greer. Yeah. Well, and it, Pam Greer. It, it also weird that it was Pam Greer, which I realized, yeah. you know, post Jackie Brown and all of that. That that she's in this movie and basically mm-hmm. essentially a cameo as a as a Rufus disguise, yeah, which is strange. Uh, so we catch up with them, like I said, five years later. So this this time the stakes, as you mentioned, are that they're killed, but the whole thing is the battle of the bands that they have to get to. So I guess mm-hmm. sort of the analog to the history report is that now they have to get to the battle of the bands so that they can get a record deal, so that they can you know, Wild Stallions can be off and running, uh, and we we get the uh, update on their relationships with the princesses who apparently now it's just a running gag that they're played by different actresses in every movie. <laughs> um, and I, I, again, back to the Missy thing, Missy's now switched to Ted's dad. Uh, thoughts on, on what, what Bill and Ted have been up to over the last five years, I guess, between movies. Obviously nothing. They've basically, <laughs> I think still been trying to struggle through, but they haven't learned their how to play their instruments. And, they're just kind of, I think they're still slackers at heart, right? And that's what our issue is. I, uh, I, I, I got to admit, I got quite a chuckle about uh, Missy switching parents, <laughs> uh, switching marriages. I found that to be quite amusing. But yeah, no, nah, they've just been cruising along. I'm not sure what exactly has been going on in the interim, but basically a whole lot of nothing. It's very strange that they don't, like five years, they don't really make much forward forward momentum at all. And then in like the last two minutes of this movie, they're like, you know what? Let's go learn how to play and then come back. And they peace out and they come back with babies and everything. Uh, and how about the princesses? Do you think really, I can't imagine that a woman would wait around for that many years for them to just kind of fumble along and still not do anything while they've already been taken from their homes. Now, granted, mm-hmm. they're rescued, right? Because they're going to be married off. Right, but still, those are some patient ladies, and to accept those those toy <laughs> rings, you know, like from the old uh, quarter turn change box things. I mean, yeah, they don't have those anymore? I don't think so. I don't I think they do. Forever. I used to be. I as I was all in on those all, as a kid. You get the little bouncing balls and the little yeah, the little uh, rubber hands that like stick on the wall and all that stuff. Good times. Yeah, good times. Exactly. We should bring those back. Million dollar uh, idea. Let's they should bring those back. I would buy that for for the for kicks, I guess. Uh, but I li- I like how the sequel builds on the first one. Apparently, the Circle mm-hmm. K is a, a nexus point for dimensional travel or something. No, natural, yeah. <laughs> Where right else back would it be, there. Robert? Use your <laughs> head. Where else would it be? Yeah, exactly. Strange things are foot again at the Circle K. I'm surprised nobody said that actually. Right. But they build on the the fact that when they're confronted with their their evil us's, evil robot us's, uh, that they just assume it's them from the from the past or the future again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that you can tell Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves had a blast just playing like dick versions of Bill and Ted. <laughs> that must have been a lot of fun to do. Yeah, I'm sure they 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 clearly are enjoying all of that stuff. So, and that's what I think is one of the great things about the film is that the, everybody there seems to be having a great time with what they're doing. I think Sadler and Sadler, Reeves, and Winter really are just rolling through this thing. So, yeah. Sadler for me is probably my MVP of this movie just because that shouldn't work. There's no way this should that should be even be a character in this movie, let alone no. like let alone make as much of an impact as he does. To the point that when the third one was officially go, my first thing was, okay, yeah, you got them back. What about what about Sadler? Get the get the Reaper back. And then when it was announced, people were very happy, uh, just because he comes in in the second movie and feels weirdly like the third most important character in this franchise. All of a sudden, he becomes part of the crew. He's he one really of the guys does. now. And I'm really kind of curious to see how they insert him into this third film. How that's all going to shake out. And and will he rap this time around too? <laughs> We should be so lucky. <laughs> uh, 
so yeah, I love Sadler. Uh, I love the Seven Seal parody that we get. The fact that Evil Bill and Ted are so that their their sections are so dark that they basically sexually assault the princesses. They're they're yeah. trying to run over cats. They're just like <laughs> it's just like it, the complete opposite. Everything we said about how how sweet and earnest and good natured Bill and Ted are. They're like they're literally the complete opposite. And, sure, yeah. and I, I just think that's really satisfying in a, in a way in this bizarre movie uh, to take the characters in such a such a polar opposite direction. No, exactly. I think it's it's really one of the fun things about it, and uh, and just how again talking about why the films work with Bill and Ted, and when they, conf- when they confront when they're confronted by death, it's like how's it hanging, death? You know, <laughs> there is no conscious kind of like when they die and they realize they die. Like, all right, well, what are we going to do next? You know, everything. Yeah. It's just the low stakes of everything, where nothing means anything, and we're just kind of cruising along and having a good time. The whole film, both of them kind of have this kind of airy feel about them. That's what makes them, like we said in the beginning, just eminently watchable and enjoyable. They have the the most bloodless PG deaths of all time, too. Yes. They're just laying there chilling. Uh, and the, the worst consequence they ultimately get is Bill's got like a worm in his ear. And that's about it. <laughs> They're just like dusting, dusting themselves off. We're good now. Uh, yeah, as depictions of hell go, it wasn't so bad, yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But first, so they <laughs> die, and then their their thing is they're going to put you know possession. So this is, I, for, I always forget too that this movie has a possession and a seance sequence, right? Back to back. Which, by the way, Hal Landon Jr., who's back in Face the Music, as is uh, Amy Stock, who plays Missy. Mm. So it's it's great that they're sticking around for the third one. And I think that scene is so funny, and Hal Landon Jr. is so good in in that playing, uh, you know, Ted possessing his dad. Yeah. And I forget that Missy is the one that sends them to hell. Like I've always forget that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, she assumes these are evil spirits. And so she takes out her, her, and apparently she's into that kind of thing now. So she takes out her dark, you know, getting rid of a, you know, evil book. She's got, I guess, seance medium books and stuff. Sure. Uh, because yeah, my, why does, why not? Might as well. And so she's the one that sends them to hell. I completely forget that until every time I watch it and I'm like, oh, Missy, it's all Missy's fault. Damn it. I mean, mom. Jerk. Um, so we were mentioning about the hell sequence. So remember uh-huh. I saw this when I was, like I said, I, I remember seeing this in theater with my mom. So I was uh-huh. eight yeah. And I think that's why the hell sequence freaked me out so much because it is kind of relentless and insane. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the hell sequence where we see not only Lucifer, but then they're thrust into their own personal hell? That's interesting. I think I was really creeped out about um, Bill's, is it his grandmother? Yeah. I mean, that was, now of course that is Alex Winter, right? Which As Granny great. Preston in the makeup, which is really, dis- it's, it is disturbing. It's really gross. So uh, that was probably the scariest out of all. And the Easter Bunny thing was just kind of weird to me. Right. And then you just have the, you know, what the uh, military guy. The, Colonel Oates. Yeah. Give me infinity. <laughs> <laughs> so out of all of them, even though the Easter Bunny, the, the crazy possessed, you know, demonic Easter Bunny was there, I still think Granny Preston was the creepiest out of all of them. Right. It, Granny S. Preston Esquire. Respect. Respect Excuse your elders, me. I Chris. apologize. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just, I love that. That's exactly the kind of, like, batshit sequence that this movie needs. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that we get the, you know, them in the hallway with everybody facing down and chasing them down into a corner. So much fun. Not really scary as an adult, obviously, now, but right. still really memorable and really effective for for the strange places this movie is going. Uh, then we get the heaven visit. Uh, they recite poison to, uh, <laughs> I think it's, I guess it's St. Peter. Is that at the gates that they, that they say that every rose has a thorn. I think it's might be to God himself. I believe. I think it is. Uh, <laughs> uh which yes. again is, is really fun. And, uh, death I watched apologizes. It two days ago and I, and I'm not hundred percent sure, but I'll yeah, go see, on that. Death apologizes cause he was Melvined. Uh, it's his excuse. <laughs> yes. And and then we get to a part of the movie where I, I it, it's where the movie almost starts to push in a direction that I'm like, ooh, I don't know about this. And that mm-hmm. is Station. For some reason, 
Station mm-hmm. is always where I, I break. We get possession, seance, they get killed, robots, hell, heaven. But then the Mar- when they bring- Martians are too far. Yeah, apparently. I guess that's, it's a weird like line in the sand that I've drawn. But yes, once we get to the, the two little Martians who combine to become one big Martian, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, they, Station, there's something about them slash him that, um, that I, I don't know. I, it starts to lose my interest a little bit. Even though I, I still respect the fact that the movie gives zero fucks about logic and or or obviously, but but it's just like, yeah, aliens now too, because screw it. Because why would the like like Death says, why would the smartest scientist in the world in the universe uh be on, be from Earth? What are your do you do what are your thoughts on station, I guess? Because I'm sort of uh, I, that's yeah, that's just where I, I start to feel the movie stretching a little thin. That's interesting. I had never really thought about it before, but I can see your point. It makes sense to me what you're saying, because everything here is firmly rooted, right? Air quotes, and lack of a better term there. Yeah. Um, you know, in 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 the ethereal plane, right on Earth, mm-hmm. and now we're going to bring in extraterrestrials. It's bad enough we got time travel. It's bad enough we've established an afterlife. Now we're going to bring in uh, aliens. So I could see where your suspension of disbelief can only go so far right with the with the introduction of the station martians so i don't i don't yeah if if it's a bridge too far for me it's barely one it's like a step or two it's all mm-hmm. right with me i get the where you somebody could have an issue with it but for me it's it's fine i don't i'm not, I'm not gonna worry about it too much it does come back around i think it's just that se- that sequence where they meet station and then the uh you know the the hardware store run where they're yep. building the robots then when they show up and you have that that great sort of classic which is the real bill and ted moment with the the uh the evil robot us facing up against the real deal uh, mm-hmm. I, I love all that and then they use the let's come let's come back after and and plant this cage and the sandbag and <laughs> and then denomalos gets in on it i i did you think that worked the second time? Or are you like, okay, now you're just doing the same? No, no, it's ridiculous. No, it's horrible. It, it's really bad. It's 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 <laughs> it's too much on top of it. You know, it's like a hat on top of a hat on top of a hat. But it's <laughs> yeah. it's it's what you'd expect, right? That's right. the whole point of these films. They're just absurd. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you on that. I think at the end, with all the different stuff, you know, I planned. I knew you'd do that, so I did this type thing. All right, <laughs> you planted the fake gun. Exactly. The only person that, only the one that wins, gets to go back. And hold so, jeez, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, then, to, you know, we get the 16 month later jump. They they peace out. They come back with babies who are implied to be boys in the at the end of the movie. I guess. Yeah. But then they I retcon that into girls for the new one, which I think still fits because their names are still like Billy and Thea. So it's mm-hmm. Ted adjacent. Maybe her name but is... he calls him Ted, right? He the, does. The kid's name is Ted. He does. I mean, I'm, I guess her full name is going to be Theodora, maybe, and then Thea for short. I, have, I obviously haven't seen Face the Music as of this recording. So it's, uh, yeah, it's anyone's guess how they're going to retcon that. But I guess just probably ignore it because it's such you a... Know what? Again, exactly. If we're going to have Martians and everything, I think maybe we cut them a little slack on the yeah. uh, gender swapping <laughs> of the kids. I think uh, I think that's a smart move, though. I think that's a, a cool idea that they have daughters and then sort of having a younger female uh, Bill and Ted in this in this third film. But mm-hmm. as as we alluded to, the third mo- uh, the second movie ends with all these newspaper magazine covers. Uh, Missy and Anomalous apparently got married yes. because, of course. They play Mars. There's rumors that they're going to split up, but then those are a hoax. And like uh, the Reaper has a solo album, and then that comes crashing down and like come back together. Here's the question that I want to pose Do you think it, it, it reminded me very much of something like 22 Jump Street, where they're like, Yeah, we're not making another one. Here's all the stuff you would have wanted to see. It's done. Yeah. Uh, which at the t- this is probably why for the longest time I never questioned the, ex- the, you know, the existence of a third movie. I'm like, Well, they. They kind of closed everything off at the yeah. end of the second. So technically, we don't really, really need a third movie. But again, you know, nostalgia, reboots, everything in Hollywood is cyclical, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Do you think Face the Music is going to acknowledge any of that as canon? Or do you think they're just going to pretend none of that happened and retcon it like the genders of, the, of their kids? Yeah, I don't know. I'm wondering if they're going to handle it where 
there'll be some type of timeline split a la like you know star trek and the kelvin timeline where mm-hmm. there'll be some event that changes or stops that from happening because that's the plot of the third film right is that they have yet to write the song and they're now middle age and they know they got to get on it or the everything's going to unravel basically so i'm not quite sure how they're gonna they're just gonna ignore all that stuff like is is death gonna be like in the pool house just hanging out living with them (laughs) i don't i mean i i'm i'm a fan uh, i'm a big enough fan of sadler's performance that that would be fine with me actually yeah i know i think that maybe that's what it'll happen or something will have happened that stalled all of that from happening that was later revealed i'm not sure yeah, I don't know. What do you do? Do you have any thoughts on that? It makes me think of something like, uh, and this is obviously, you know, one of several sequels to the previous movie. It makes me think of Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, mm-hmm. where they were, you know, John Connor played by Nick Stahl. And that one is just like, he says, uh, oh, we you know, we stopped Judgment Day. He's like, you cannot stop Judgment Day. It is inevitable. It's just been postponed, basically. So mm-hmm. something, maybe something happened in between two and three, or something happened even in two that through their destiny off course and delayed because we see very, it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like the version of them in the future that's being sort of worshiped is like 55 years old. They seem younger. Exactly. They seem like 30 maybe or something like 20 something or or whatever. Like they were, they peaked young basically is what sort of the vibe was. So something. Yeah, it's right around the corner in that film. It's not talking 20 years later. Yeah, and then the, the trailer for Face the Music mentioned, you know, Holland Taylor does the voiceover in the first one, and she says, you know, 25 years ago, you played a, a concert in front of the whole world, and then, you know, a few days ago, you played, <laughs> like, the, you know, for a few, like, 40 people there for taco night, basically. So I, I guess we're at the end of their career, and then somehow that big song that's supposed to unite the planets or whatever uh, got pushed further down on the timeline. And I'm curious if they actually even try to explain why, or it's, you know, just roll with it. It's unclear. We'll find out together. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, But I, I do really enjoy both of these movies. I, I think the first one is, is essentially a a stone cold cold classic as far Mm -hmm. as what it's trying to be kind of a slacker comedy from the eighties. And the second one, I enjoy it. I think it's, I, I think we're a hundred percent on the same page. I think it is a lesser, but also more, you know, wilder experience to watch, but it's easy to see why a lot of fans and critics, I think were let down by it at the time, just because it is such a, a detour from what they, you know, what they must've expected. Yeah. I wonder if it's, if that's people, if that's softened over time, mm-hmm. I remember, I think being let down and not enjoying the second one as much as the first two, but more so than I'm, you know, representing now, where I feel like it's still solid and good and entertaining. I think I may have walked out of that second film and be like, wow, that just wasn't as good, boy. But as time passes, you know, you're, you have a newfound kind of respect for it. So I'd be curious if people to revisit this now, if they'd have the same kind of feeling and impression that I've had. It's also because there wasn't a third film in like 1994 or something. If they had come out with a third one soon after, then people would just be like, oh, the first one and the third one are good. That second one's a mess. But because it's been 30 years with No Bill and Ted, we're all like, you know, it's sort of the Ghostbusters thing where you go back and watch Ghostbusters 2 and a lot of people are like, eh, at the time especially, we're not into Ghostbusters 2. But now it's got an, a, a much deeper appreciation among fans because they still, you know, they never got another sequel to that with that original cast so i think it does it i have not watched that film in 20 plus years and i remember it, not liking it at all it's, I'm, 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 oof, i don't know if i'm going to come uh, revisit a ghostbusters 2 and be like oh yeah that's much better than i remember well some people i think some people like it the weird thing is i think i'm coming from a, a skewed perspective because strangely my wife had never seen the original Ghostbusters until a few years ago or something. When and you I married her? No I know. Else. I know. She's lucky, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'll listen to this at some point. Um, and then, so she, she grew up with the second one. So she still kind of favors Why? the second one because it's the one she grew up with. Uh, so I feel, I feel like, you know, I grew up with both I, of them and I like, you know, I like them both okay. The second one is is a huge drop in quality, but the whole... The whole Vigo thing was still kind of fun, uh, but it's nowhere near the first one. 
it, no. it just it's just kind of a a balls to the wall version. You know what? I'm realizing that that was very big in the 80s. Like all the 80s movies had a huge sequel or huge first movie. Second one, just like, yeah, just do whatever and throw two at the end. People will go see it. <laughs> because I'm, I'm realizing that there are several in that Gremlins, Bill and Ted, Ghostbusters uh, realm where in Ghostbusters 2, the whole thing is there's a slime under the, under the, you know, the sewers and yeah. it just like brings things alive and it's got evil spirit in it. I don't know. You know, a lot of cocaine floating around in Hollywood or whatever was happening. Who knows? They're just like, fuck it. Throw it out there. (laughs) Bill Murray signed on. Exactly. That's really what more do you need? I can't, I could never, it never occurred to me to give Ghostbusters and other films like the James Bond treatment, right? Where everybody's favorite James Bond is the one they grew up with, generally speaking. So, yeah, no, I don't, hmm. Now I wonder if I have to rewatch Ghostbusters too. Well, answer the call or not answer the call. Uh, that was already happened. But the um, what the hell is it? Afterlife or something? Oh, that's the, right. Yeah, the, the Raymond Jason's film supposed to come out now at some point, like next year, I think. If this, if, if everything, you know, COVID willing, I guess. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, are there any other anything about the first two movies you wanted to mention, or anything about? Uh, face the music, you know, what are you hoping for or expecting to see? So in regards to the first couple films, it's just, listen, folks, go ahead and rewatch them. They're still a delight and they're still a blast. They have aged exceptionally well outside of the uh, those two kind of things that we had talked about. And also the impact kind of had, right? I don't think we have a hot tub time machine without a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Absolutely. Now, I don't know how big a thing that is, <laughs> but still, in the realms of comedy, science fiction stuff, I think that particularly uh, the excellent adventure is definitely uh, well worth revisiting in regards to the newest film. What am I, I don't, I don't be honest with you. I don't know. I'm a little nervous about this. I don't know if it's one too many trips back to the well, like you said, uh, they kind of, I think wrap things up pretty good in bogus journey. I am happy to revisit these guys and kind of relive that kind of stuff. I'm a big sucker for nostalgia. Like I can't wait for that new He-Man cartoon, right? That Kevin Smith mm-hmm. is doing on Netflix. I'm going to be saying I'm cautiously optimistic. Usually I run cautiously pessimistic and that way I can be, you know, pleasantly surprised, but I, I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, pretty much it's the same writing crew is back. You got Reeves and winter, you know, you had a great cast. You had Kristen Shaw, Samra weaving, like one of the it girls right now. That's probably a derogatory thing. What are they more popular uh, young actors? Breakout stars of like the last year or so for sure. There you go. You know, so, and like you said, Sadler's back, Jillian Bell, who's always hilarious. So it's, we'll see how it rolls. Um, I understand that Carlin is back in this using some repurposed archival footage from the first two films, maybe some cut footage as well, I assume. So, I don't know, fingers crossed. Uh, we're we're going to, well, I'll enjoy it. What is, do we have a runtime on this thing yet? Uh, it was, I heard something like 85 minutes or something like that. That's I, good. That's good for comedy. That's I think, but, but see, that's the, yeah. I remember, I think a few weeks ago when the runtime leaked and it was like 80 something minutes and people were like, what? That's so short. And then I'm yeah. looking back and I'm like, but the first two are both like 90 minutes with credits already. Yeah. I mean, so it's, I think these movies, they need to be lean like that. You can't have like a two and a half hour Bill and Ted movie. No. This is not that kind of, it's not that kind of story. It's just, you know, quick, a bunch of crazy shit. And then they, they peace out and uh, they play a rock. Yeah. Imagine it's like an MCU thing running at 225 or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. God. Uh, And as far as what to, you know, hopes for the, for the new one. Yeah. It's weird. I feel like we're operating from the perspective of Alex Winter Oh, he's the guy from Bill and Ted, maybe, you know, maybe Lost Boys, things like that. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't been, he hasn't had the career that Keanu Reeves has had. He's been, you know, directing documentaries and things like that, but he's been more behind the scenes. Keanu yeah. Reeves has, we were just talking about Matrix, John Wick, and all these other things. So he's been in the public eye. So to see Alex Winter back in here and saying, be excellent to each other, and then to cut over to Keanu Reeves, it's like, and party on, dudes. And it's like, it's hard for me to, Put him you back. think they're going to pull that off at their advanced age? Is it still going to work? I, I feel like Keanu Reeves weirdly has baggage now from John Wick and all these other things because it's it's like you said, he could have just not chosen not to come back. Like, no, I'm not going to say party on dudes. I'm like 56 years old. Get the fuck <laughs> out of here. I mean, it's like be like Jim Carrey now 
putting his hair back up to see like, oh, righty then. You know, you can't, it, it's hard to put Keanu Reeves back in that Ted box after 30 years. So I'm really curious to see if that's going to just be, you know, the first few minutes while I sort of acclimate myself to, to uh, middle-aged Bill and Ted, or mm-hmm. if it's going to be something that sort of deflates the movie. I, I, I have no idea which way, uh, which way it's going to fall, but I'm, I'm, I'm like you, I'm hoping for the best. Uh, I really like this franchise. So if this serves as sort of the uh, epilogue to the first two, I will be totally fine with that. Just, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. You have just put me into a depression. <laughs> wow. Why? What, which part? Because I just did, I just did, you just corrected my math. Because I've been saying 20 years this whole time. Oh. When you're right, it's been 30. Yeah. Almost, just about 29 yeah. years, I guess, 91, right? So, yeah. Oh, God. Okay. I know. I know. <laughs> that, And you can see the difference on their faces now, 30 years being like, Back to the the Bill and Ted. Well, um, I don't know. I hope it's fun. I hope it's I hope it's good. Kevin Smith apparently has seen it. He did a the Comic Con panel with them, with mm-hmm. the cast and the director and the writers, and he said that he cried a lot of it. But but he cries at everything. So I don't know how much to I don't know how much to uh, to believe that as a a good or bad sign. Right. Uh, but I I mean I have a daughter, so if it's tapping into the father daughter dynamic thing, it'll probably hit me in that emotional space. I just hope the movie, I just hope it lands the characters and the emotions of it all. Like obviously the plot, as we said, for these first two, especially the second is all over the place. So, I mean, I don't think really there's a way that they can mess that up as long as they keep station Mm -hmm. away (laughs) for me. (laughs) Um, No station. (laughs) That's my first rule. That would have been my Rob, first script note. Any Venusians. Only people from Venus is what Yeah, exactly. No more Martians. <laughs> Martians are overdone. Matt Damon <laughs> did it, and now it's done. We're closing the book. <laughs> uh, so if there's nothing else, Chris Scalzo, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Yeah, of course. Uh, we're at The First Run on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook. Just as we say in the show, do a search for The First Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you'll find us. Uh, we're on YouTube as well. Um, we're available, like you said, on all your podcast locations. So go ahead, give us a follow, give us a listen. We'd love to hear from you as well. So uh, yeah, and Robert, thank you so much for having me. I, I had a lot of fun talking about these films. It was great to go back down uh, memory lane and revisit these things. And I hope to uh, come back soon and give you a hard time again. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm super excited to, to uh, complete our Bill and Ted conversation over on your show to, to uh, delve into Face the Music and see, uh, see if it sticks the landing, I guess. Corporate synergy, folks. That's what yeah, it's about. That's exactly. right. You can find Robert on our show just a few days later once this show is posted discussing Bill and Ted Face the Music. So uh, that should be a blast. Awesome. To have Thanks, Chris. We'll definitely bring you back. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> Bye. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.